1, Galatians chapter 1. All right. So just by way of review, uh, the epistle of Galatians is a, uh, it's a self-defense epistle in the sense of uh, the Apostle Paul is defending his personal integrity, and then he's defending the doctrine of grace. And so uh, what has transpired is the churches in this area or this region called Galatia have been influenced by Jews from Jerusalem who believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. They believe that, and they'll testify to that, and that is, that's vital. The problem is they use that as a tool to get in so that they could, they could uh, add to the plan of salvation. And what they did was they began to let the people of these churches know that, you know, Paul... He wasn't with the 12 apostles. He didn't walk with Jesus uh, while Jesus was on this earth, like Peter and James and John and those guys. And we've been with those guys. And uh, we've been from Jerusalem. And what you need to do now is you need to be circumcised. And you need to make sure you adhere to the primary laws of Moses and then, then you can be certain of your salvation. And so what they were doing was adding works to salvation. And the result was, uh, not only did it frustrate the grace of God, as we would read in Galatians 1, in the sense that now people began to bear this weight, am I living a good enough life? Or, that type of belief has the, has the, uh, can be very cynical and uh, has a tendency to be very judgmental of other people. And they began to look at others and say, well, you can't be saved or you can't be saved. And this stuff was taking place. But also, they, uh, they started losing faith in Paul. They started losing faith in what he, uh, his character, what he taught them. And so, if you're able to stand, Galatians chapter 1, we're going to read a, a lengthy portion, verse 10 all the way to verse 24. This might make some sense to you. Verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? By the way, because when you, when you believe in a work's salvation, sometimes, and I've been around circles of people where people adopt certain standards not because they believe it, but they want to please the people around them. Now, in a degree, if you're in somebody's house, you honor their standards, Right? If you work for the uh, airport or if, you, if you're a stewardess, there are dress standards. If you work in the judicial system, there are dress standards. I understand that. But we're talking now uh, 
people were adopting things not because they, they were adopting it because they thought, well, I got to do this if I'm going to be accepted by God. Anyways, again, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. By the way, the word conversation there is our word for behavior. Okay? Uh, In the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I I always get a kick out of these Jewish phrases. To a Jew, you're always going up to Jerusalem. Always. Whether you're approaching it from the north, south, east, or west, you're going up to Jerusalem. I just said, stood out to me. I went up to Jerusalem because he came from Damascus, which is north of Jerusalem. Okay, moving on to see Peter, and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Why is Paul saying all this in this letter? I'll tell you why he's saying this. Because these people are doubting his, his apostle apostolic authority. And when you doubt the man's character, you're going to doubt the man's message. And what Paul is absolutely concerned about, and this is where it's going to be re- relevant for each one of us in this room, He's concerned about his influence. But wait a minute, he's concerned about maintaining a trust. And so really, what I'm going to present to you is some, some uh, practical lessons here about not just maintaining trust, but developing trust. Okay, because you can't have a good relationship with anybody without trust. And you certainly can't influence people if you don't have a good relationship with people for the most part. Let's pray. Lord, may you bless the service. Help me to speak. I pray for your guidance and direction now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I got three points, but I don't have a poem, but I can make one up. Roses are red and violets are blue. It's time to preach. How about you? I don't know. Sure. All right, so here we go. Um, the first thing the Apostle Paul does here, looking at verse 10 through 12, he, he, just to read it again to keep our mind engaged, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He's letting them know, personally, I am serving the Lord, not to gain the favor of men, but to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now here's the reality, and I didn't really emphasize too much on this passage last week. But here's the reality. Listen, we shouldn't go about trying to offend people, right? That's not the objective of us as Christians. Uh, we're not trying to offend people. As a matter of fact, Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, as much as in you is, live peaceably with all men. I mean, we're supposed to try to get along. Uh, but I'm glad he said, as much as in you is. Letting us know there are some occasions where you just can't. You do what you can. You keep the olive branch out, but wait a minute. Some people don't want it. But Paul is letting them know, I'm not in the ministry as a people pleaser. I'm in it to please God. And I will do what I can to reach people. If my pleasing God pleases people, that's awesome. But if my pleasing God, serving God, offends people, oh, oh well. I'm not going to uh, displease God to gain the favor of men. Everybody with me? And that's the reality of that passage, and that ought to be the practice of all of us. We ought to have a heart's desire to serve God regardless of what the crowd says, even what our family says, because you can't help your family if you're displeasing the Lord. You with me? I mean, hey, listen, I realize some of them are going to call you a holy roller. Some of, them, some of them are going to say, you're judging me, and you're not even going to say a word. You're just living the Christian life. But the very fact that you don't partake of their sin, the very fact that you don't drink their alcohol, the very fact you don't laugh at their dirty jokes, the very fact that you don't smoke or, or cuss or anything like that, the very fact that you don't watch the things that they like to watch, I'm here to tell you they're going to think you're judging them. That's just a reality. You can smile, you can be kind, you can say, I'm praying for you, you can be there when, through their, huff, uh, their hard times, but the reality is, that's just going to be their attitude if they're not interested in your God. But the beauty is this, they're going to know what's real in your life. They're going to know what's real, and they're really, oh, they're, they're really, you're really going to be believable when life is difficult and you stay faithful. That's when your testimony glows. That's when it shines. That's when you have a glow-in-the-dark. By the way, that's the kind of testimony we all ought to have. There's a glow-in-the-dark testimony, the kind that shines even when we're going through darkness. Man, you got that just for showing up this, morning, this evening. So how do I develop and maintain trust with others? How do I do this? How do I protect my influence? The Apostle Paul, this is what he's trying to do, but I believe this can help us in our marriages because this is so important for marriage. I mean, you lose trust. I'm telling you, you've just cracked the foundation, and if the foundation be destroyed, what shall the marriage do? <laughs> I know that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, what, if the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? But that's the reality. When a trust is broken, man, it's like busting a bridge. It takes a while to heal that thing up again. And sometimes, sometimes accusations, not character flaws, can, can be a, the problem for the trust. In Paul's case, it wasn't his character. It was accusations. Now, I'll, I'll just be honest. I know in my case, my character's probably messed up trust for people. Man, I, I've done, I, I look back and I think, man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I know you haven't had that problem this time, Merv McNair. I'm just confessing my faults one to another so I can feel, you know. Anyways, but we're talking about the Apostle Paul and his character. So what do you do? Number, I've only got three points. You ready for this? I could have put this up. I could have given this to you and you could have put it up here. But now that you, you really have to pay attention, you don't get the pictures or anything like that. Here it is, number one. You know, you, got, you must be sure of yourself before you can make others sure of you. You must be sure of yourself before you can make others sure of you. 
You see, what we read here, Paul is testifying. I want to read on just a few things here. Verse 11, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation or my behavior in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion, those very people that were infiltrating your churches, above many of my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. You know, Paul is fully aware of the change that's taken place in his life. And when you can look back at your own life and say, you know what, I may not be what I used to be, but I can absolutely guarantee I'm not what I used to be from the day that I received Christ as my Savior. There has been a great change in my life since the day that I received Christ as my Savior. Oh, you may be mindful of your faults and failures of your sins. But the question is, are you mindful of the fact, has Jesus changed you enough for you to have some assurance that you are a different person? That's huge. Because you've got to be sure of yourself before others are going to be sure of your influence, before others are going to be able to trust you. You must be sure of yourself before you can make others sure of you. You know, nobody's going to, hey, husbands, nobody's going to, they're not going to follow you if you're not certain. If you can't say like Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which is committed unto me until the day of his return. No, we need to know. I mean, hey, there's no no, uh, 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 officer in the military that's ever been respected and followed until they were certain of what, or at least they, they made those soldiers that were following them believe they were sure of what they were doing if you get a guy that's waffling all the time you can't trust him and you've got to be sure how are the other people at work going to believe you if you're waffling all the time how are the people at school going to believe your testimony if you're always wishy-washy no you got to be sure be sure of yourself before you can make others sure of you paul knew he was a changed man He knew who he was, and he knew what God had done for him. And later on, we're not going to get to it for a while, but in Galatians chapter 6, 4, Paul would give this advice. And it's one of my favorite verses. Let every man prove his own work. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Friend, can you look at the person in the mirror and say, that guy read his Bible today? Can you look at the person in the mirror and say, that man tried to win souls today? Can you look at the person in the mirror and say, that man did his best today? I mean, when you lay your head down down tonight, can you say, the the guy that's laying in bed, in in my mind, do you have a peace in your mind that you've done your best today? That's how you have certainty. That's how you have inner confidence, uh, by being able to evaluate your own character. Have you been honest with God? Have you been honest with God? You say, well, man, I failed a lot. Well, did you have, can you at least say, You know, I brought it all to God, and I want Him to change me. Maybe the day's just about over, but tomorrow's coming, and I'm ready to start the right way. See, those are the questions you've got to ask yourself. You've got to be sure of yourself. By the way, don't blame it on God. God's given you and I the grace, all the grace we need to be the Christians He wants us to be. He has. He's given us all the grace we need. Hey, we're, we're choosers, not losers. We make choices. Hey, don't, listen, listen, listen. I, I know 
I know people's circumstances vary, and some of them are very, very difficult, and some of them uh, difficult circumstances come sometimes absolutely out of our control. I understand that. But for the most part, matter of fact, I, man, I'm going to say 100% of the time. It's, I, I'm going to say it with certainty. Our attitude is a result of our choice. It's our choice. I mean, if a guy can go through the Holocaust and not be marred mentally, like Viktor Frankl, grasping the fact that there's one thing they can't take from me, they can't take the freedom to choose. They can't make me hate. They can't make me bitter. They can't do it. I have to let them. Nobody can take our integrity without our permission. And so very, very important. Paul, Paul is validating some things. He's going, rehearsing his testimony for, for his sake, for their sake, so they can see, look where I came from. I know where I came from. But mo- next thing, next thing. These are real simple. Point number two. How do I develop and maintain trust with others? How do I protect my influence? <clears throat> well, I better seek God's approval before I seek man's approval. Seek God's approval before man's approval. Okay, look at verse 13. We already read verse 13. I'll read it again. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many. I'm going to move on down. Verse 15. Uh, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem where the apostles were, to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem. What's he saying there? He's saying, I needed God's approval. I need God to do something for me, to reveal something to me that would shore me up, that would strengthen me, that would be personal, that would remind me that when everybody would go against me, I know God is still for me. Maybe that's why it's Paul that said in Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Maybe that's why he said it, because he knows what it's like to not have anybody else's commendation, but still have God's. Because if you still have God's commendation, you're going to make it. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is another one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. Listen, you know what? We can't, we can't make people think right about us and and we're not the primary uh, 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 factors in our reputation all the time I look at Joseph and I think man God bless Joseph I mean there's a man that was doing right and they labeled him as a man who tried to rape a woman as a liar he got put in jail and uh, he knew it wasn't true but and God knew it but nobody else okay and then you, you consider Job I mean, most of the book of Job, he's being accused of wrongdoing. All you got to do is read it. He's being accused and slandered of skeletons in the closet. You guys familiar with that term? That's a good old term. I haven't brought that out in a while. So, uh, and he's being accused of this stuff. And in his own heart, he would say, well, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own way before him. You know what he was saying? I'm sure of myself. I'm sure of myself, and I'm sure God 
knows who I am. He knows my heart. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Well, that's pretty interesting. Just because somebody comes in and says, I know what I'm talking about. Oh, no, 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 no. Whom the Lord commendeth. Whom the Lord puts his commendation on. Whom the Lord... Listen, that's what I need. That's what you need. We need to know that... We need to know personally. I got the hand of God on my life. You know, Nehemiah wasn't going to leave Persia unless he knew the hand of God was with him. He had a burden to go to... He had a burden to go to Jerusalem and rebuild those walls. He had a burden to do that. And as he's getting ready to approach the king, he says a prayer. And by the way, there's validation there for praying while you're walking. He's, he's, he's carrying the king's cup, and he's getting ready to meet the king. And he's, got, he's heavy-hearted, so he can't even smile. He's broken-hearted. He's probably holding back tears. And he gets there to hand the king, and the king says, what's wrong? And he said, I made my petition to the Lord. And then he told the king what was wrong. Because they weren't supposed to have a sad face in front of the king when they were delivering the food. I mean, I'd get suspicious if the waiter brought, had a sad face when we brought my plate. What's wrong with it? Did you see him pull a fly out or something? Huh? So, <clears throat> I mean, we weren't supposed to do that. But apparently he'd proven his faithfulness long enough. The king said, what's wrong? And he told him. And the king gave him liberty to go. And then he, Nehemiah testifies, the good hand of God was with me. And even Ezra, before Nehemiah, Ezra, he had a heart to go back and, uh, and rebuild the temple. Cyrus had opened the door for the Jews to go back out of captivity, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And Cyrus told the king, the good hand of our God is upon us. And he went. As a matter of fact, Cyrus... Uh, Cyrus I'm going to get the names. I think I just mixed the name. I did mix the name up. Cyrus. Oh, hold on. Ezra. Ezra. Ezra said, I got the good hand of God on me. King Cyrus is the one that gave permission to Ezra and these Jewish captives to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the uh, temple. And so King Cyrus is going to offer Ezra military support. And Ezra felt like, if I take it, it won't appear that I'm trusting God. That was his heart. Now, I'm looking at it thinking, I probably would have taken it. But uh, Ezra said, no, he had enough assurance, confidence in God, we're going to make it. If God brought us here, God can bring us back. And by the way, he did. Those men understood that. They were aware of the good hand of God in their life. Second uh, Timothy 2.15 tells us how to get the good hand of God in your life. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. The record's not stuck. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You and I, the more we get to know the word of God, the more we understand Bible doctrine. Listen, that pleases God because that's his word. Just like it pleases you if you write, write a letter to somebody you love and they read it and they keep it. That'd make you glad while wow, they're keeping that letter. God has given us this wonderful love book. We read it. We meditate on it. Even if we don't understand it, God says, oh, look at them. They're trying. <laughs> See, uh, that's how we get God's commendation. But not only that, not only that. I'm telling you, answer to prayer will do it for you. You know, it's interesting. Paul, after he gets this call, after he's saved on the road to Damascus, he gets saved, he meets Ananias, and uh, the scales fall from his eyes. He, hears, he gets baptized, and, and uh, 
rather than go up to Jerusalem to meet the apostles, because here's a guy that was very familiar with the Scriptures, the Old Testament. He goes to Arabia for three years. He conferred not with flesh and blood. You know what? He, he was doing like Moses. Okay, he endured as seeing him who was invisible. See, he was, he was learning more about Jesus Christ. Who is he in light of the Old Testament Scriptures, the prophets, and all that is... Uh, spoken of him and it came alive to him that's why we have more of the new testament written by the apostle paul than any of the others i mean he he could compare scripture with scripture and he saw how jesus was the peace that shined the light on the old testament and he also understood the significance of all the sacrifices and the rituals and that sort of thing and he understood the full work of jesus christ who taught him that it wasn't peter it wasn't james it wasn't thomas it wasn't John. It wasn't Andrew. It was Jesus that taught him that. What was he doing? He was getting God's commendation. And as a result, he could come back with some boldness. By the way, that's why Elisha could stand so boldly before King Ahab. Because he knew whose presence he'd been in the whole time prior. The Lord before whom I stand. What was he saying there? I have God's commendation. That's why I'm here to talk to you. And you and I have that available to us. I shared this with a, a brother just a little earlier during our discipleship class. And it's a, it's a quote that Clarence Sexton uh, has, and we'd had it on our wall for years. It's not there anymore. But you're as intimate with God as you want to be. I mean, that sounds so simplistic, but that is the truth. I'm as close to Jesus Christ as I want to be, and so are you. See, it's not that he doesn't want to be close to you, and it's not that he doesn't want to bless you, and it's not that he doesn't want to show his hand of favor on you, and oh, no, 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 that's never the issue. The issue is always on our end. It's always on our end. Are we pursuing that commendation? Because that's what we need. You know, what most people want, and I'll tell you, our flesh wants it. My flesh wants it. We want the applause of man. We want the approval of men. We want the favor of the crowd. We want to fit in. Come on now, don't, don't leave me hanging here. That's, that's our human nature. I mean, from a teenager, you want to fit in. People don't change when they become adults. They still want to fit in. We want to fit in. We want to be approved. And praise the Lord, that's, I, we understand that. But we'll be careful, be careful that that doesn't override and overrule the need to be approved by God. Because sometimes the crowd is going the wrong way. And we're in a country right now where that is absolutely sure. Sometimes the culture and the crowd, and even, even in the church setting, sometimes the crowd can be going the wrong way. And what you and I need is God's commendation. We need God's approval. Hey, the most important degree you need, and the most important degree I need, it's not my bachelor, associates or bachelors or PhD. It's my A-U-G. Approved under God. I was thinking about old Charles Spurgeon. He didn't even go to college. Now listen, I still think you ought to go to college, but old Char- Charles Spurgeon, he didn't go to college. He was never ordained. Is that amazing? Does anybody know about Charles Spurgeon? You ever heard about him? I mean, at the age of 20, he was pastoring a church of 4,000 people. Wow, did he jump into some big shoes? No, hold the coffee, friend. When he took the church at the age of 19 or 18, when he took the church, they only run a couple hundred people. 
Oh, he's a prodigy. I'll tell you what he was. He was a man who had the approval of God on his life. Didn't know better. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ without worrying about the eyes of men. He just preached the truth. He was caught up in it. He loved what God had done in his life, and he shared it. Yes, did he have the ability to communicate? Uh, yes, he did. There's no doubt, though. I've met a lot of people that could communicate that didn't have the Spirit of God on them. He did have the Spirit of God on them. So anyways, <clears throat> seek God's approval before you seek man's. That's what Paul did. He didn't go up to Jerusalem. He went to Arabia. He didn't seek Peter, James, and John. He sought Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking those other guys, but wait a minute. He's revealing, hey, wait, you all need to trust me. You need to remember what God did when you were there. I'm reminding you of the transformation that took place in my life and those very people that are confusing you, that are undermining uh, the doctrines you received from me and undermining uh, character assassination. I'm reminding you that I was one of them to a greater degree. And look what happened. I'm, and even they would testify that I used to be a persecutor of the church. So, oh, by the way, you know what Gideon was doing when he said, Lord, you're calling me to do something big here. You mind if I lay this fleece out and, and pray over this tonight? And maybe you could do me a favor. And if you're really with me, Lord... Let there be dew on the ground, but let the fleece be dry. Is that all right? So he did, and the next day, sure enough, there was dew on the ground, and the fleece was dry. He said, Lord, don't get mad at me, but would you switch it around and maybe keep the ground dry and just let the dew be on the fleece? And the Lord said, well, we'll give you one more. Sure enough, it was there. What was he doing? He was getting confirmed by God. He was seeking God's approval. I mean, he's getting ready to go into battle with 300 people. Uh, yeah, against over a million. I need to know God is with me. And you need to know God is with you. Don't allow ourselves to be bought by men. Don't allow ourselves to be bought by men. You know, not just by money, but by reputation, by opportunities, by this idea of fitting in. Well, I know. Uh, they're just not going to like me if I don't go to that party, though. They're just, they're, they're, I'm going to be made fun of if, if, I don't, if I don't participate in this particular dance and, and go to this particular party and, and do this. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to think I'm some weirdo if I don't do that. Well, let me ask you, friend, is it right or wrong? That's all I'm asking you. I mean, you're going to listen to stuff that's got cussing in it the whole time, foul language, blaspheming the name of God. You're gonna, hey, you're going to be around a crowd that's smoking or drinking or doing other drugs? And you're going to be around a crowd that's talking about uh, just uh, promiscuity all the time? And uh, they're just interested in your body? And, and uh, Serious now, uh, but you want to fit in that crowd? Is that the crowd you want to fit in? Well, I don't want them to make fun. But if I don't go, they're going to. And boy, so many people sell themselves out because they want to fit in. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. Hey, we could use, we could use a few more. I think the guy's name is uh, Naboth. Naboth, yeah. Oh, Naboth wouldn't sell his vineyard. He said, you take my life, but you're not getting the vineyard. My father gave it to me. He wanted God's approval. Third point, third point. We got a few minutes, don't we? 
Look at verses 19 to 24. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by faith unto the churches of Judea. Did you catch that? Was unknown. Did you all see that phrase? Was unknown. What's that mean then? He's now known. That's right. That's what it means. Past tense. I'm going to read on. I'm going to, I'm going to mention the last point. But they had heard only, verse 23, that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Okay, number three. How do you, how do you develop and maintain trust? Remove any unnecessary suspicion in your life. Come on now. Remove any unnecessary suspicion in your life. Excuse me. If my wife said uh, to me, honey, can I look at your phone? And I said, no. Could that create suspicion? Well, it could. I could have a valid reason, but on the same token, it's not worth the suspicion. Hello? You see, you want to have influence, you want to have trust, you want to, have good, you want to be able to reach people, you, you want to maintain good relationships, you want to do that? Then listen, I'm just telling you, you must be sure of yourself before you can make others uh, sure of you. You need to seek God's approval before you seek man's approval. And then number three, remove any unnecessary suspicion in your life. You see, when Paul did this, Paul went to those churches, you know what, when they first saw him, they got a little nervous. Can you imagine? He went up to Jerusalem, then he saw Peter. And Peter had heard about him. Hello. James had heard about him. Those Christians in Jerusalem had heard about Paul. Absolutely they had. He'd been persecuting the church. Maybe some of them had family members who'd been martyred because of Paul. Uh, some of them maybe had family members who were in jail because of Paul. And now here he is. He's saying, well, I'm born again now. Listen, I'm just here to tell you, even though it was true in Paul's heart, they were suspicious of him. And you're not going to remove suspicion by remaining silent. And you're not going to remove suspicion by remaining absent. And so he goes to these churches who at once knew him as a persecutor. And he left, and they now knew him as a preacher. What did he do? Well, he removed suspicion, and he built a relationship. And he opened the door for influence. He knew. Hey, listen, by the way, he was so sure of this. There's a passage here that I didn't emphasize, but I just want to go back to it real quick. Uh, look at verse 20. Paul was so sure he'd write this in the letter. Verse 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. He was indicting himself if he was lying. You really believe in God? I really believe in God. And I'm telling you, before God, I'm telling you the truth about my life. Before God, I'm telling you the truth about what's transpired in my life. Before God, these things happened. I can stand sure. That's why I'm not afraid to say this before God. What's he doing? I, inevitably, he's removing all suspicion. 
Because he wants to have a good relationship. Hey, husbands, hey, wives, listen. If there's something they, hey, man, I, I know, oh, my. I know a couple that, oh, they just tore the whole thing apart because one of them was spending money and spending money and spending money and not telling the other one about it. And eventually it comes out because your sin will find you out. And they're divorced. I know another situation. The dear brother came in, and this is a while ago, so it's nobody you're going to think of. Nobody. Your mind's going to start racing, wondering who he's talking about. Don't even try that, because it's way before any of you were here. But I remember this dear brother come to me and said, Brother, my wife caught me with pornography. <clears throat> and I'm afraid to tell her, all the details. I'm afraid to. T- I said. Uh, I just told him. I said, "No, you need to let her know. You need to let her know about that gal you've been texting." Hello. You need to let her know that. You need to get it out. But she's going to blow up. I said, "It's going to blow up one way or another." At least now, you have the leverage of being honest and laying yourself out there. And I, I looked at him, I said, do you want to be right with God? That's the question. Because if you're going to be right with God, you better get things square with your wife. Hello? Guess what? They're still together. Was it a little heated afterward? Yes, it was. But they stayed the course. Stayed the course. I'm so thankful for them. That's not easy. But you know what he was doing? He was removing suspicion. I got to get, I need help. That's what he was doing. And we got to do that. Every husband, every wife in this room. Hey, listen, every teenager, you want to remove suspicion? You want to build trust with your parents? Say, here's my phone. Here's my computer. Take a look at it. I've, not, I've got nothing to hide. You know the people that are suspicious? Stay out of my room, stay out of my stuff, don't touch it. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hello? I know what I'm talking about here. You want to keep your marriage, you want to keep your relationships. By the way, the most valuable thing you can ever accrue, the most valuable thing you can ever accrue, ever, it's not knowledge. You can learn how to build a rocket ship. And that wouldn't be the most valuable thing you could ever accrue. I mean, hey, listen. Uh, <clears throat> you could learn how to play the stock market and learn these algorithms to make all kinds of money, but that wouldn't be the greatest knowledge you could ever accrue. The greatest knowledge, you, the greatest thing you will ever accrue is trust. Trust. I mean, you may have a mental capacity of a sixth grader, but if you're faithful and honest, you're going to get a job. And you'll continue to advance if you're faithful and you're honest. And you do your job. Trust. Oh, we need to protect the trust that we do have. We need to protect the trust we do have. And Paul says, oh, you Galatians, let's clear the air here. Because there's a bunch of smoke between you and me. And I want you to see and I want you to hear 
And I want you to be, remember, I didn't lie to you. But I would say this, even for those who have, it was their fault and they burned the bridges, you can rebuild that by getting it right with the Lord first. Lord, bless the message. Thank you for the word of God. May the Holy Spirit help us. Thank you for your scriptures that are so practical for everyday life. May your spirit lead and guide us. I don't know how you would speak to each individual, but I know you are able to. And I pray, Father, we'd be receptive. As we get ready to close, we will sing a song of invitation. You do as the Lord leads. Father, bless this message. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Brian, come on up and... If you need to use the altar, feel free to do so.